Welcome to Christian Queries, where two Christian queers answer your queries about Christianity. Just kidding. Uh, my name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. And I am uh, your lead pastor here at Zao MKE. Um, Cameron and I are at a conference this weekend, and so we're here pre-recording. Uh, I had asked for the community to submit questions for uh, a tradition we have, which is no stupid questions. That's where I try and rapid fire answer a number of questions submitted by the community back to back to back. Um, but I wanted to let you know about a, uh, an outcome of that tradition, which is that Cameron and I started taking those queries um, one by one and going in depth instead of my rapid fire answer. We started taking them one by one and going in depth uh, and creating podcast episodes out of it. So um, we, we released about 20 episodes uh, in 2022 um, and went on a long hiatus. Um, and we're back. So we have new episodes coming out now. You can find it. It's called Christian Queries. Just don't, just don't forget to keep the queer in queries. Sorry, that's Cameron's line. I didn't want to steal it. Um, but uh, so you can, you can check those out. But for today, we thought we would do kind of like a little in-between where we're going to take multiple questions, um, but we're going to limit ourselves to five minutes per question, and we're both um, going to give answers on it. So, Cameron, are you ready? Do you want to ask the first question? Do you know how to pronounce the first question? <laughs> All right. First question from community member Kellen is, um, it's, it's actually a yes or no, which I really appreciate, but let's, let's keep an eye on that clock. All right, we've got five minutes to answer. Did you know that Catholics say that you can eat capybaras during Lent? Did you know? No. No, I also didn't know, but it's true. It's true, and it did make me look into this. So capybaras are the world's largest rodent. Yum. Uh, might be. Actually, they sound kind of cool. They, when you um, see pictures of this, of this meat, of capybara meat, it looks like red meat. But it is said to taste like fish. Uh, and so it turns out that um, in the 17th century, uh, missionaries in Venezuela petitioned the Pope uh, to classify the capybara as a fish so that it could be consumed during Lent. So now you know. But when we first discussed this, you had some qualms um, with this little history tidbit. Well, mostly I'm just like... <sighs> We have a lot of rituals, right? And uh, and then we all try to like get out of those rituals. So I remember during Lent, that's really the only thing that we ever, you know, did anything around when I was growing up. I grew up uh, evangelical, and and really we didn't even do Lent. Um, but like all of my friends did Lent because they were like the bad Lutherans, um, and they were always like, "I'm giving up chocolate" or "I'm giving up whatever." And then people would try to figure out ways to like get around that. So in my head, I was kind of thinking, um, this is one of those moments where um, you're not allowed to eat meat. But you're like, ooh, uh, we can eat this red meat, but if we make this rodent a fish, then it's fine, you know? Um, and so that just seemed a little silly to me. Yeah, so uh, I, this, this rodent is super fascinating to me because it does actually live in the water, have like webbed feet, 
and eats mostly a fish diet, and so it tastes like fish. Um, I, who knows? But I, when I hear that, like, I actually, what gets me excited about it is that the, the way that, that Christianity has moved throughout the world, like, of all of the world's major religions, Christianity is one of the ones that is more, ha- has been more adapted to local culture, which I think is actually really exciting. So when I hear this, I don't hear people getting out of fasting. I hear um, the, the church officially accommodating, recognizing a different cultural context where capybara is a rodent that is food that, that is fish-ish. Fish enough, fish, fish, it's fishy, it's fishy, I don't know, I just like, I think that there are, this is called syncretism, when you kind of blend a culture and another ideology or practice, and there are religions of the world that are much more rigid and, and um, bummed about syncretism, and actually like a lot of the, a lot of the uh, fundamentalist Christians are really up in arms about syncretism and they're like, that's really bad and don't ever do that and you're, you're muddying the gospel. But I think it's super cool to be able to say like, yeah, capybara is like not a fish in Italy, but in Venezuela, it is. And so like being able to, uh, being able to build a spirituality that like keeps the gospel um, and context, I, I think is really cool. I would not uh, assume that Christianity uh, is like a thing that's cool with syncretism um, because I think from my experiences a lot of the time and, and quite frankly how we hear about Christianity in our world, I immediately was like, well, of course, like this is what they're trying to do is get out of ritual and in fact we are those kind of religions where we're going around and colonizing and making it um, Christianity's way um, and so it's really interesting to hear you talk about the fact that um, you know, syncretism is a thing within Christianity. I mean, like all things, it's both, right? Because obviously these are Christian missionaries who are sent on an imperial project to wipe out a local indigenous religious ideology. So like, it's horrible and colonizing and terrible. And uh, there, there were, of course, among these missionaries, there were, you know, deeply spiritual people who were able to recognize uh, the, the connection uh, between indigenous culture, spirituality, and, and their own spirituality. And so there are, there's evidence of this all over the world. So it's, it's a real mixed bag, but like, I, think, I think it's super cool. I think it's cool to see um, spirituality show up in different cultures and places and be changed by it, which I think is really holy. So we are at time. All right, question... Number two, let's have you at least, oh no, let's have you at least read this one. Uh All right, I do remember which one. Okay, so question number two comes from Dave, thank you. Um, According to the Gospels, Jesus appears on occasion to label certain people sinners, do you believe he would have reserved that term for people who harmed others by word or deed, intentionally or otherwise? Or would he have applied the term more broadly than that? All right, so the question is, sinners in Jesus' parlance 
Are they like people who hurt people specifically through word or deed, intentionally or unintentionally? Or is it more broad than that? I, and I think that like, I don't know that you can get more broad than that. I don't know that you can get more broad than a person who intentionally or unintentionally harms another person by what they do or say. And I would kind of include, this is very Lutheran of me, um, but what we have left undone. What we have done or what we have left undone. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so by our, by our actions, by our failure to act, by what we say, by what we fail to say when we cause harm to another, um, I think that that is, that, is, that is like a universal definition of human experience. Um, and so I think that that's why we understand that we're all sinners because we are all so deeply in the morass of, of a world seeking healing that we are all a part of its, of its continuous wounding. Um, and, and, and that's what makes us all sinners. And like, I, think that that's, I think that that's fine. I mean, I think it's important to name, but I don't think that that's something that we need to be um, feel feel uniquely called out on. Um, it's just a part of human experience. Well, I think that's really interesting um, to like if we could all claim that as a human experience. But I think what ends up happening is that we end up claiming it for certain people's experiences, right? And so I think one of this, like, some of what is happening in this question is to ask, like, you know, but who's the sinner, right? And um, is it intentional people or is it the unintentional people? But I think ultimately the, the, like, Christian world has determined that, like, I'm a sinner because I'm a queer and trans person. And I'm a sinner because, I don't know, I like a beer here and there, right? Like, I'm a sinner because whatever the reason might be. And we've all been labeled sinners. Um, and in fact, I think some of the first um, people that I started to, like, re-envision what sinning even meant was, like, Nadia Boltz Weber, who, like, came out with books that were like, yep, I'm a sinner, right? Um, and the theology even around how Nadia Boltz Weber was talking about that is, yes, no, I love my Lutherans. We're, like, picking on Lutherans today. I love the Lutherans. Um, but, like, super Lutheran, which is to, like, see a person and say, you need Jesus because I need Jesus to stand in front of you so that we don't even see you, right? Like we see Jesus through you because of your sin. Um, and the reason I think that I have uh, so clung to like Wesleyan theology is that idea of like you being good at the beginning um, because my, my growing up, was I am trash. I am dirty, dirty, filthy rags, right? And like, and instead, like, wait a second, I'm I'm good. I actually have like um, you know, goodness in me, and that I'm not just a sinner, right? And so I think like that is all really nice to say. Um, if we could say, like, hey, we are in this world that like is intentionally and unintentionally harming one another over and over. And you've spoken at length around sin, um, around like how it's like a tearing, um, and that is a cosmic tear, right? Like, and that we're all in this kind of cosmic um, thing uh, together that we're trying to repair all of that. And if that's how we saw sin, I think that that would be a totally different game. Um, but that's not the world we live in um, 
And I think that I, I would be curious how Jesus would be talking uh, to certain people on earth now, because I think if we look at the Bible, Jesus was constantly uh, with the quote unquote sinners, right? Whom people were deeming to be the sinners and calling out the people for whom were doing the uh, the categorizing, right? And so I think Jesus would be doing that still today if Jesus was here. And to me, that means that like I would be labeled a sinner, um, but I would be hanging out with Jesus. A hundred percent. I think Jesus lived in a world where sin was hierarchical and Jesus was sort of like, it's all of us. Uh, you know, like one of my favorite verses from Paul is for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I think that that's a very equalizing thing, right? Like I think some people will hurl that in, in the face of another to be like, this is why you're trash. But I think that Paul says it to say like, listen, we're all in the same boat. We're all in the same shipwreck. We're all trying to repair this thing together and we all need God. And that's where actually like, I know I'm going over time on question number two, but I, but I, I need, I need, I need to bring back Martin Luther, the source, source of that Lutheran theology, because I think he really was experiencing that too. He was in a world where the church at the time was was really was having a hierarchy of sins and also saying like, oh, well, you can, if you just try harder, you can be perfect and you can earn, you know, whatever, right? And that's, that's his experience and characterization. That's not the entire church at that time, whatever, whatever. But there was enough of that theology that he that it, he was like being crushed under the weight of it. And, and he had, had this kind of experience with God where he was like, yeah, I make a lot of mistakes and I'm not going to stop. Like I, I can't get this right all the time, no matter how hard I try. And like in his experience of God, he got this kind of like love back being like, that's fine. Like, I know that about you. I, I, I don't expect you to be different. I know that you are, are a sinner. I know that you're going to continue to cause harm. And like, what, what you need is to put your faith into healing and into me and into love and in knowing that you're loved even as you make mistakes. And so I think that's the beauty and that's the power of that theology, why it's persisted. Um, and I think it's just easy for humans and human institutions and institutions of power to weaponize that to make some people feel like they are worse than others. When the whole idea is like, yeah, we're all doing our best and our best isn't great all the time, you know? Well, and, and I think, again, if it was, uh, if hell was off the table um, and hell, like the hell and fire theology was off the table, then actually I think we could have conversations about what is sin doing and if we are all sinning and like intentionally or unintentionally harming one another, how do we reconcile? How do we restore back uh, relationship and how do we restore back you know, creation. Um, and that's the, that again is part of that beauty of what it could be, but instead we are still in that hierarchy of um, figuring out who's in and who's out. And so I really hope that someday we can, I think, get back to the, the purpose of, of that conversation. So, all right, we are, we're keeping going. All right, so question number three is, you know, is there such a thing as fruit of the labor, right? Like, I think the question is coming 
uh, from a place of asking, we go through all of these things and we work really hard and we try and the world is kind of trash sometimes. Is there fruit of this labor? Oh, you're not going to take a stab? <laughs> is there fruit? Is there fruit at the end of the poop tunnel? Because there was a poop emoji. Um, yeah, I mean, like, this is where... I, you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm hanging out with the Lutherans and with Paul today because Paul's got me, um, that, uh, God works, God works good for all those who love God, right? Like God works all things for good. Um, which I don't think means that like there necessarily is, you know, a silver lining to every cloud. Um, so much as like God is just really masterful. Um, God is an artisan, God is creative, and God will work the poop emoji into something, um, into fruit. God will take that, that poop and put it right into the ground and nourish the soil to, you know, to take what has been broken down and, and no longer good um, and discarded and excreted and will turn it into nourishment for the thing that is literal fruit. So, to, to you know, to lean on a, uh, you know, a, a, a metaphor of the earth, like, yeah, like, all of our best stuff comes from shit. Um, and I, I think that that's encouraging, you know, not, it's, uh, I don't want to take this in a toxic positivity way to, like, erase the pain of things that we've been through. Um, it's not to say that those things were good or even necessary, but just that God can and does and will use it um, to bring goodness. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that the cross has always done for me is when we think about Easter and we always talk about being like people of the resurrection, this is a time where I think about the earth and I think about um, eco-theology and how like life to death to life to death is this cycle that has to happen. And it does happen no matter what we want to do to try to make it stop. Um, and the cross is one of those moments where it was like a culmination of like utter horrendous uh, empire um, death, right? And yet it had to happen for life to come. And I think that is one thing that I do hold on to, even in my like quandaries about God and all, of what does the cross mean? Um, but like, that means something to me that like, it is true that like, the world is hard and like the labor of the world is hard. And especially, you know, this is a question from Devin, like, especially for like, you know, people of color, for queer people, for trans people, for people who are oppressed, like we go every single day with that oppression on top of us. And for people who don't have that oppression, they don't understand what it is like to get out of bed and walk out the door. And that means something. And sometimes that labor um, costs you things. And yet, like every... Every time, like, we do the things, like, God is working it for our good. And, like, that death feeling will bring life. And we might not actually get to see it. And that's what feels unfair. Um, and sometimes I don't know what to do with that unfairness feeling. But, like, I know that, like, what we're doing here at Zao, I know that the labor that's happening, like, in the streets for justice, I know that the toil that, like, we keep, like, pushing out like does actually matter 
and it matters in like this scheme of life. Um, and, and again, I might not get to see the, the total fruit of what that looks like, but I do get to see some of it. Um, I get to see that at Zao, right? I get to see that at like hanging out with people um, in the streets. I get to see that in the living room when we're having family, or sorry, downstairs when we're having family dinner, right? Like we get these moments of perfection, which again, I'll bring back Wesley. Um, like, you know, we're, we're always going toward perfection and that we get to see these moments I think of heaven. These moments that like we can't explain, but like you're just sitting in pure joy. And like that is God and that is like the spirit and all the things connecting us. And those are the moments that help me hold on until the next moment that I need that moment again. Um, because again, yeah, it is, it, we toil and it is hard and it's not fair and I don't always understand why we have to do what we have to do. Um, but I know that God is in it and I know that God is with us. And so I hold that hope so that I get to see those moments of heaven um, as we're together. All right. Well, I think that's a great segue into our final question, which is why did God create in the first place? Why did God create and why humans? I have a confession. I've been thinking a lot about this question, actually, and uh, I don't know if I'm ready to, like, you know, say all of my thoughts as a pastor, um, but, like, it's really confusing to me sometimes. Like, I think that, like, I have grown up, or the ways that I have grown up have been for me to know absolute truths. And if I don't know absolute truths, I am like veering off to, from some path that like is a path of sin and damnation, essentially. And, and I think that one of those absolute truths was that like God created everything and that God is all powerful and almighty and everything is God, right? And then I look around the world and I'm like, make this make sense. If God is all-powerful, then why is there genocide? If God is all-powerful, why do people suffer? Back to the last question. If God is all-powerful, why is oppression? Why are we toiling, right? And so, like, ultimately, like, God, why did you make all of this, like, messed up humanity, bro? Like, it's got to be a dude, by the way, who did this, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but like, why, why, why? Um, and I've been thinking a lot about this. And I don't have necessarily like concrete answers for you. Um, but like, these are the questions I think about. And I want answers. Um, and I deserve answers. And I demand them of God. Um, and so I'm toiling with God right now about this. Because I'm like, I don't know. Because I think that like, sure, God created things. But like, some of these things are kind of messed up. And like, what do we do about that, you know? I mean, this feels like it's veering very much into the problem of evil, uh, you know, which isn't quite where I was prepared to go with it. But I, you know, I hear you. And it's like, why, I think the, the sub-question there is like, why bother creating if your creation sucks a lot of the time? And I, you know, Personally, I think that like what you were describing before, the, the toil and the moments of perfection, I have to trust that on the whole, in creation over time, the perfection outweighs the, the garbage, 
Like the, the beauty outweighs the toil. I, I just trust that. I trust that um, in God's creation. And so I think that that's part of why I don't want to like write everything off. I also think that like to, to get to the like the, spe- the specific question, like why did God create? I think you can look at us, right? So like we're made in God's image. Why do we create? Um, we were just talking with another community member about animals the other day. Um, and I, you're smiling like you might be thinking of something else. But um, but I was talking um, to, to a community member about animals and how like we observe animals. Animals' whole deal is like eat, sleep, be safe, procreate. And like we could have stayed in that. We could have stayed in that as human animals. And yet like we... We created instead. We made we made our clothes to keep us safe and warm, but we made them beautifully. Like we made our shelters, but we made them creatively. We um, we started to tell stories. We started to weave histories. We started to make visual art. There's always been music. You know, like we have as human beings created in the image of a creative God a compulsion to create. And I think that like we talk a lot about how creative. Like some people are so creative. <laughs> Everyone's so creative. Um, but we, we do. We, we talk about how people are creative. Um, and even the, the implication of that TikTok joke is that, like, not everyone should be creating. But I, everyone should be creating. Like, and should is even the wrong word. But, like, everyone has the capacity. Everyone is creating. Everyone is, is creative. That is, I think, the most identifiable um, sort of like birthright we have as as inheritors of the image of God is our creativity and our our impulse, our compulsion to to bring new and creative things into the world. Um, so I, I I don't know like what that is or where it comes from. I can't like source it outside of like in God. Like where does that come from in God? But like it is in God's nature to bring beautiful things into being just as it is in ours. And I think that that's what God did in us. And I'm grateful to be here, you know? Like, I, and I hope that we can, as um, co-creators with God then, um, tiny little pieces of God's exponential creativity, um, build it, heal it, form it into something that has more perfection in it, that does move onwards toward perfection instead of, um, you know, degenerating into violence and, and harm. Um, but that's, you know, it's still, it, feel, it does feel up in the air a lot of the days. That it does. Um, and, you know, I, I think that there is so much beauty out there. I don't want to get too, like, only problematic here. Like, there is so much beauty, and I, I do see... Um, the creativity in each person. Therefore, that makes me excited to say, like, I see the divinity in each person. Um, I see, like, how we are are part of God uh, in, in, like, big ways, right? And, like, we move as part of God in big ways, or we can move as part of God in big ways. Um, We can connect with creation, um, and, you know, which is also a part of God, right? So, like, there's just so many elements that can be brought all together, I think, um, in in God's creation and in creativity. Um, And, yeah, we should all be creating more. I think, like, really, that if we all created more... 
outside of the status quo, outside of the usual, you know, uh, what we know, might our world be better? <laughs> like, if we tapped into our creativity, if we tapped into, like, that divinity, rather than the, the empire and the fear and the, the whatever it is that uh, makes us cowardice, uh, to go back to your, your sermon from last week, like, I think our world would be different. And I, and I wish that we could tap into that creativity and, and call out the, the systems that, like capitalism, that makes us not be able to be creative and, and connected, so. And, and who, in what other way, in what other manner, would we end up with the capybara, a rodent fish that is edible during Lent? By the way, uh, the, there is no such thing as a fish. There's no classical, technical classification of what is and isn't a fish. There are no real boundaries on it. Look it up. Taxonomy is, is an art and not a science. And, and this is where we're at. We're like trying to break things down and categorize it. But all of God's good creation blurs the edges and, and forces us to rethink and reimagine what, what we think is possible and what we know. Um, yeah. That made me think of, like, I wonder if God also, like, doesn't... God doesn't want to be alone, right? Like, as when I think about, like, Adam, because I was thinking about the other questions that were <laughs> in the, the thread, like, does Adam have a belly button, whatever. Um, but, like, you know, Adam didn't want to be alone in the story, right? So, like, God gave Adam, like, animals. And, like, so if, like, God was alone and God's like, yo, I need some, like, friends too. So, like, God created friends and, and then, like, like, let... Adam start categorizing things though, right? But it's like that, that was actually God's first mistake. Like you let us who you created, you know, like you needed like more more of you maybe, I don't know, to like maybe not do the categorizing so that um, we would be more creative. I don't know. But anyway, that was just a thought. Well, it's, it's no fun to play with somebody if you're in charge of all the rules. I mean, if God wants companionship, then God's got to let us Mess up and, and, and say, no, I think this is a fish. And, and God, you know, God seems to be on board. So, all right, we are at time. We are at time. Um, but thank you for coming on this journey with us. You can submit more questions. We may do more of this, you know, in, in service. Um, but as I mentioned, you can always check out these longer conversations Cameron and I have um, in that podcast, Christian Queries, um, which you can find on the Zao website. Um, but for today, will you join me in a word of prayer? Good and holy God, thank you so much for the wild and wonderful creation you have made, even if we don't understand always why you did it. Um, God, in the midst of, uh, of our lives, in the midst of um, doing our best, we make so many mistakes. And we are grateful that you are a God who loves us in and through all of that, and that you have given us uh, your creative spirit to, um, to endeavor to do more and better and different and, and uh, to grow and heal together. God, we pray that through all experiences of difficulty and oppression, that we could see not only the fruit of our labor and the ways that you turn things to good, um, but God, the ways that you show up and love us and, and are in the mess of it with us. God, um, we love you so much, and we thank you for loving us 
from the humans to the capybaras to everything in between and around. May your goodness show up for each and every one of us this week, and may we celebrate it um, as companions in your good creation. Amen.